Amen. Thank you, Katie. It's so good to be with you guys. So amazing just to worship with you. Um, such a fantastic time. Thanks um, to the guys for leading us in that. Um, God is so good, isn't he? He really is. He's really good. Um, I um, th- This isn't linked. Um, I, I recently recovered from COVID, um, long enough ago, by the way, to be fine. Um, but... Um, but I don't know if, is there anyone here who's not had COVID yet? Yeah, there's a good few of you. Good few of you. Well done. You, you, some of you at least, some of you at least are starting to think that there's something special about you. Um, that was me until a couple of weeks ago. I was like, you know, trying not to say it, but you know, actually it feels like significant. I've been in all these places and I've still never had it. Um, but, but a couple of weeks ago, I finally succumbed. It got me. And suddenly I experienced what loads of people have experienced over the last couple of years, that your, your plans suddenly change. Yeah, your plans just go out the window. I'd spent ages planning this amazing, like, Easter, um, service for our church community. It was like a, a big comeback. You know, we had a bouncy castle, uh, and it was all going to be exciting. And suddenly I wasn't going to the Easter service. And then the following weekend, it, it dragged on a bit. The, the following weekend, we were supposed to go away as a family. My two, I've got three kids. Um, one's at sixth form and two are away at university. And the older two were coming back and we were all supposed to be going off to Judith's mom's. Um, for uh, she lives in Whitby, which is quite a nice place to go, uh, and we're all going off there for the weekend. Suddenly, I'm not going anymore. The whole family goes, and I stay behind. Um, and um, plans just change. And actually, that if, if nothing else, we've really got used to that, haven't we? Over the last couple of years, just how much, like, you know, some things daft things really like whether I get to go to a service or not it's not the end of the world is it but but some things actually major things I mean like people had planned where I'm sure it's not going to happen to you guys but people had planned like weddings and 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 they didn't happen or major life events or, or different stuff going on that actually it's been quite traumatic isn't it just the way you couldn't rely on anything and when plans change we find it really hard when things don't go the way we're expecting. I mean, probably none of you here, no, no couples here, but sometimes I find that Judith and I, if, if one, if we've got a plan in our mind, how things are going to go, what we're going to do with our time, and we're not really communicate that with the other one, and we come home and we find things aren't going according to, sometimes just a little bit tetchy, a little bit of a row maybe that, you know, we, we find it really hard to cope, don't we? When plans change. And of course, some things are even more major in our lives. Some things, not just, not just our, our, our kind of everyday plans changing, but sometimes it's not so much what we planned, but what we dreamed of, what we thought was going to happen, the way we thought things were going to turn out, the way we thought things were going to be. And suddenly we're blindsided because it doesn't go according to plan doesn't turn out the way we're expecting. Life doesn't follow the kind of clearly mapped out route that we had for it. And suddenly we're finding ourselves struggling to understand why we've moved in the direction that we've moved in. Well, I want to um, look with you at 2 Corinthians um, this afternoon because Paul um, experiences in 2 Corinthians a change of plans. 
Now, again, it, it might seemingly be a fairly minor change of plans. He, his travel plans change. Um, and, and having planned, having planned to visit the Corinthian church a couple of times, once on his way to somewhere and once on his way back, um, when he has his first meeting with the Corinthians, um, it was a really painful visit. He'd written to them to challenge a load of stuff that was going on. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you might remember that there was a, a load of excesses going on in the Corinthian church. And Paul writes them and he's not really very happy with them. And, and, and basically, um, they, they reject what Paul's got to say to them. And, and they're all kind of rebelling. And so Paul goes to, and he has this really painful visit with them. And, and then he writes to them again, probably in between one and two Corinthians. There's probably another letter. And, but then by, by two Corinthians, he's kind of, he's trying to reconcile with the people and he's and, and he's explaining at the start why he didn't make his second visit as planned and I think these these plans must have been public because it seems that some of the people are stirring up people in the church to say well Paul just keeps changing his mind doesn't he he says he's going to do one thing and then he does another he's like yes yes no no and he's all over the place and they're they're kind of discrediting Paul and I don't know. I don't know if Paul made this mistake that many of us church leaders make. Like when we're making plans, we have a little bit of a tendency to kind of present it as the plan and purpose of God for all time. It's like we're just starting out a new way of doing small groups, but you know, it's like this is the plan of the Lord and he's shown us and it's on tablets of stone. And, and then when plans change, it's kind of awkward because you know, we've made a big deal of it. I don't know if Paul did that or not. If he was like, the Lord showed me I'm going to visit you or, or, or if he just said, I'll try if I can. But whatever happened, people were upset because plans had changed. And, um, actually it's resulted in people really challenging Paul's ministry. So I'm going to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12. Now this is our boast, our conscience testifies that we've conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationships with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We've done so relying not on worldly wisdom but on God's grace. For we do not write to you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to let you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, and so through him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness and I stake my life on it that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. Plans can change for all kinds 
of reasons. I don't know why Paul, um, well, we, we have a hint that he, he wanted to spare them, but I don't know exactly what went on and how, how it looked one way to him and then ended up being um, another. Sometimes it turns out for us, doesn't it, that, that we didn't hear accurately, that what we were, felt so sure that God might have been saying we just can't make sense of it because things have moved in an opposite direction. And that hurts, actually, doesn't it? The more sure we felt that we were, the more, the more we felt like we were being bold and courageous and standing on what we felt that God had said to us. And suddenly it feels like the rug's been pulled out from underneath us when, when things change. Or sometimes it turns out that there was a bigger picture than what we understood. There was something bigger going on and, and sometimes we do see and we, we start to understand and, and that trust starts to rise again. But sometimes that process takes a while and sometimes we have to hold on, don't we, before we understand the bigger picture and we're just trying to make sense of it all. Sometimes we're overtaken by events that are beyond our control. Sometimes other people's reactions to what we try to do mean that we can't move in the direction that we wanted to move in. Sometimes we just don't understand. But Paul doesn't want the Corinthian Christians, the church in Corinth, to be discouraged. He doesn't want them to lose heart. He doesn't want them to lose trust in the message of the gospel, in the hope of what is to come. Because God's people carry this promise. God's people carry a promise of a world in union with God. A world in harmony with God. A world in perfect relationship with God. And God's people understand as they read through the Bible that the way God has always intended to bring this about is by having his own people belonging to himself. That God would have a people in relationship with himself to bring a world back into relationship with himself. And God would have a promise that one day there will be like, there'll, there'll be no gap between the, the heavens and the earth. I don't know how it works exactly. I don't know if there's some kind of Holy Spirit elevator in the future that we hop up and down between the new heavens and the new earth because it seems both a part of our destiny. But God will reconcile all things and he'll bring everything back into relationship with himself. And there'll be no more crime or injustice. There'll be no crying or pain. God will make everything new. It's this amazing promise. But Paul finds himself saying in the context of something seemingly so trivial as changed travel plans, suddenly our confidence is undermined because things didn't work out the way we were expecting. The things we thought we were supposed to have confidence in didn't turn out the way we thought they were going to turn out. And now we're at risk of forgetting everything we were holding on to. But Paul says, no, God has given you the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, a little bit further on in the letter, Paul is talking about the glory of the new covenant. Now, the new covenant is like the new agreement between God and man that Jesus has brought us into. The old covenant under the law was the way that, that God was saying, look, I want these people that are in relationship with me so the whole world can come into relationship with me. But that wasn't working because we weren't able to do it in our own strength. So God made this new covenant that relies on Jesus, that relies on his faithfulness, on his goodness, on all that's amazing about him. And so Paul's talking about this and he's saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 
This new covenant, the glory of this new covenant, it's so much better than the glory of the old covenant. It just far outshines, it eclipses everything that was amazing. Like if you thought Moses was amazing, if you thought King David was amazing, how much more amazing is this relationship, this intimacy, this closeness that we get to have with God? And he's talking about this and then suddenly in 2 Corinthians 4, he's like switched and he's like, but we go through pain and we go through suffering. And actually, if you think about it, it's the same kind of thing over again, isn't it? Like, we thought we knew the plan was for all this wonderful glory, this wonderful experience that's greater than the glory of the Old Testament. We're all going to be like, just like, you know, like the days of the temple every single week. And it's just going to be like amazing all of the time. And suddenly Paul's talking about it's really hard and you're suffering and, and our present weakness. And it's like, what happened to the plan? What happened to the plan? Plans are out the window, it feels, at times. And yet Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 1 to 5. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. He's given you the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing your future. Whatever happens with plans that go well or go badly, however you thought life was going to turn out, whatever direction you thought God was calling, it's always, it's always so much harder when you thought God was in it and it goes wrong or it goes in a different direction and you're left confused. And sometimes it really, really hurts. And we're left struggling and wrestling. But God has given you the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee when we are blindsided by unexpected twists and turns. Now, some of you, not many of you looking at you, but some of you will remember check guarantee cards. Hands up if you remember check guarantee cards. Not that many, it has to be said. It's kind of showing my age a little bit here that I remember a check guarantee card. In the olden days, boys and girls, um, we had these things called checkbooks. And um, we didn't have electronic means of payment. And so we would write. I know, we wrote with pens on paper. Um, and we would write. Um, basically, it was like, I promise that you can have this money from my bank account. And then you'd give it to the person. I know, it sounds crazy, right? That was how we paid for things. Um, and then someone worked out that actually any old Tom, Dick and Harry could write down on a piece of paper, I'll give you this much money from my bank account. And so there was a bit of a problem and businesses needed to know that they could rely on the payment of these checks. And so they had the check guarantee card. And basically that was a card from your bank and that had your name on it and it had a special number that they had to write down. And it basically said it was like, 
you know, something like 50 pounds, which back in those days was a lot of money. Um, I don't know if you, there was, there was a, a picture of the check guarantee card. I don't know if you can make this out. Um, it says on there, you can tell this is really old because it says British gas, 27 pounds. Now, put a couple of zeros on that, and that's like a gas bill these days. Um, but back in the old days, you could pay your gas bill for £27. Um, so, so you've got this check guarantee card, and it, this one, it was like a £50 check guarantee card. So basically, what they were saying, the bank was saying, if someone gives you this card with a check, up to £50, we'll guarantee it. We'll definitely pay it. You can be sure that you're going to get the money. Okay, now, the Holy Spirit is not a plastic card in your wallet. But I think he's a little bit like a check guarantee card. A little bit like, he's a guarantee. He's the proof, your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Not a card that you put in, the, in your wallet and keep in your back pocket and only bring it out once in a while when you need it, but a constant ongoing relationship with a person inside you that guarantees certain things in your life. I think that's amazing. We have a personal person who is a guarantee inside of us. And so I just want to briefly, in the time that I've got less, run th- left, run through three things that the Holy Spirit guarantees for you and for me. And we're going to find them in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Still with me? I like lots of Bible. Ephesians 1 and verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I've kept asking God that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen. Firstly, then, the Holy Spirit guarantees our identity as children of God. We are God's possession. Verse 14 in what we just read, it said, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. The Holy Spirit is like a seal on your life and my life that says we belong to God, our Father. 
It's like the moment that we make a decision to turn away from going our own direction in life. The moment we make a decision to turn around and turn towards Jesus, to follow him with the rest of our lives, to make our life all about him. From that moment on, something incredibly powerful happens in our life and the Holy Spirit comes and changes us. The Bible refers to it as being born again. We're filled with the Spirit of God and the Spirit himself becomes a seal on our lives, guaranteeing, declaring, you belong to God. You are a child of God. You see, we have an inheritance because we have a father. And sometimes we can get really excited about the inheritance, but actually the only reason we have an inheritance is because we have a father. Romans 8, 14 to 17 says this. Romans 8, 14 to 17. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Whatever happens to us in our lives, whatever twists and turns our lives may take, whatever unexpected direction we might find ourselves moving in, even though we thought we knew we were on track, We thought we were going in the right direction. We thought we were doing the right things. We thought we understood what the plan and purpose of God for our individual lives or for our lives together as a community were. And it all seemed to be moving in the right direction and suddenly everything changes. And we're left wondering and uh, and trying to understand. Whatever happens, nothing can take away the fact that God is your father. You have a Holy Spirit guarantee on you and in you who testifies constantly day after day after day. You are a child of God. And do you know what? Failure does not define you. However many times you thought you knew what you were doing and you got it wrong. However many times that just happened to you personally, or if like me, it's happened a few times publicly and you you said certain things and it didn't end up working out the way that you thought it was going to work out. Whatever's gone on in your life, failure does not define you. Missteps and, and wrong directions don't define you. Your identity is as a child of God. The truth about you is that you are a dearly loved child of God and nothing is ever, ever, ever going to take his love away from you. Whatever happens, God is your father. Which is pretty neat, pretty awesome in and of itself, right? I mean, we don't, read, we don't really need much more than that. But secondly, the Holy Spirit guarantees our identity as co-heirs with Jesus. We have been included in Christ. We read in verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 1. We've been included in Christ. We are not alone um, in our mission. We're not trying to work things out all on our own. We're not trying to find the direction all on our own because, of course, Jesus has promised us that he will be with us always until the very end of the age. You see, the Holy Spirit and Jesus might be distinct persons of the Trinity, but they are still both 
the one God of the Trinity. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus is in me because the Spirit of God is in me. Jesus promised, if you read John 14 through 16, he said, the Holy Spirit's going to take all that's true about me and he's going to make it known to you. We become united with Christ because the Holy Spirit is in us. Now, the Holy Spirit produces Jesus in our lives. That's why at the end of Ephesians 1, we read that we are his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. But because we are included in Jesus, in fact, because as the Bible says, Jesus is actually the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You'll find that in Romans 8, 29. Jesus is our co-heir. So we've got an inheritance, but it's not our own inheritance. We're co-heirs with Jesus in his inheritance. Now, I find this super helpful, and this is why. I am absolutely certain that Jesus is going to get his inheritance. There is no doubt. Now, sometimes I might find it hard to hang on to faith that I'm going to come through this. I'm going to overcome in this situation. I'm going to come through to my... But I've got, I find it easier to know there's no way, there is no doubt in my mind, there is no way that Jesus is not getting his inheritance. But here's the thing. My inheritance is his inheritance. So if Jesus is absolutely 100% for certain going to get his inheritance, then I'm going to get mine. Because Jesus is my brother. Jesus is my co-heir and the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. The Holy Spirit inside of you, the fact that God decided to show up in your life and showed you the truth and turned you away from darkness and brought you into a relationship with himself. In that moment, he poured out the Holy Spirit. He said, you're mine. It's guaranteed. And Jesus is your brother. You are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. And so thirdly, the last thing that I want to highlight, I'm sure there's loads more. But the last thing I want to highlight, that all of this follows on, of course, the Holy Spirit guarantees our authority as heirs of the kingdom. God empowers us to be part of the plan, which is why in verses 18 and 19 of Ephesians 1, Paul prays that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. You see, your authority does not rely on your past performance. Your authority is not about how many times you've been proved right or otherwise about what you thought God might be saying or doing. Your authority isn't about you puffing out your chest and trying to sound more impressive or, or screaming at the devil or whatever it might be. Your authority is because you are a child of God. Your authority is because you are a brother or sister of Jesus, a co-heir with Jesus Christ and his inheritance that he's absolutely certain to receive, that he's already done everything that is necessary to purchase. That inheritance, which is definitely going to happen, is your inheritance. So I don't understand why sometimes you pray and it doesn't happen. I don't understand why sometimes we thought we were so certain and we knew what direction we were going and suddenly it's like a slap in the face and everything is pulled away from us and we're left wondering and struggling and, and trying to understand. I don't understand. I don't have all the answers, but I know this. The Holy Spirit 
is inside of you and inside of me as a guarantee that you are a child of God, that you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ, and that you have all the power and all the authority of his kingdom. Your identity does not depend on your past performance or on how many times you got it right or got it wrong or whether where you are today is where you thought you were going to be. Your identity depends on the Holy Spirit of God who has chosen to live inside of you. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you.